Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. Following the show, you can continue this discussion on the Genealogy and History Forum of AfroGenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, like both pages. Well, we have an interesting show tonight entitled Slavery, Freedom, and reunion in a colonial Connecticut town. We have three guests. Grant Hater Menzies is an internationally published biographer and journalist, specializing in topics as wide-ranging as the lives of extraordinary women, bridge-building between Asian and Western cultures, the history of slavery in the United States, and the need for compassion toward animals. Del D'Angelo is a wife and mother, photographer and writer, and lives in a small town in southern New Hampshire. Donald Roddy is a retired pilot. Now, the topic for tonight focuses on the Connecticut businessman, Benajai Bushnell, who sold Guy Drock, a slave of African ancestry, to Sarah Powell's, the possibly Caucasian woman Drock had married. Ironically, this deed freed Drock from Bushnell's control, but not from slavery itself. In March 2012, descendants of Guy and Sarah Drock and of Benajad Bushnell came together in Northwich, 
for the first time in over two centuries. Drop descendants Daryl D'Angelo and Donald Roddy, who first they began their research years earlier, did not know they had African ancestry. And Bushnell's descendant Grant Hatcher Menzies, who thought only his southern ancestors were slave owners, met to try to understand a legacy they did not know they shared. In the town where the past began, they sought to explore the personal impact of their ancestors' intertwined histories, how the past has shaped them, their research, and their interactions with one another today, and the relatively unknown institution of slavery in early New England. So I'd like to give a warm welcome to Grant, Daryl and Donald, welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Thank you. So let's start off, Grant. What what do you hope people will gain from hearing the stories tonight? Um, well, thank you, first of all, for um, for having me on the show, Bernice. I'm, I'm very happy uh to be able to tell this story, although it's it it was a story that didn't start out um, happily, as 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 is the case with any story of slavery anywhere. Um, um, what I hope people take away from this is the uh, the the uh, mind opening realization that slavery existed um, in New England. Um, as far back as the the early 1600s, and that um, particularly in Connecticut, it didn't it wasn't wasn't an easy life for even for free blacks um, well into the 18th century and beyond. Um, and I I feel like the South, which I know so much about in terms of slavery and and society, that um, the South kind of gets a lot of the attention, but um, there's there are whole uh, uh, just centuries of, of enslaved people in New England whose voices I don't think are heard yet, and um, should be. And, and yes, you are so right. We do hear a lot about slavery in the South, but very little about say, slavery in in New England. So mm-hmm. that's. That is something that I'm glad that you're bringing to the listeners' attention. Well, Daryl, what do you hope people will gain from hearing your story tonight? Um, I hope that sharing my story will allow people the luxury, maybe, of challenging their assumptions, of knowing that it's okay to do that. It's okay to find out that great-grandma's story might not really have been the story or that what you grew up knowing about yourself um, can be challenged successfully and you can go forward, but it's a, it's okay to take the journey. Don't be, don't be surprised by the journey. Mm-hmm. That's really all I've that's the biggest thing I've learned, and so I think that would be a great thing if other people could take that away, too. Right, right. And, Don, what about you? 
Well, I would uh, hope that people listening to this would uh, have their uh, their interest in genealogy stimulated and uh, become aware that there's all kinds of very interesting, unexpected discoveries that can be made, and also that they would gain an awareness of the, of the institution in slavery, of slavery that was in the uh, New England states, uh, as Grant and Darrell said. Uh, most people, I think, in the United States aren't even aware that there was slavery uh, in that part of the country. Right. And, and you know, one of the things all of you are saying is, is we, we need to have this dialogue. And, uh, and Daryl, it's, it's interesting that you would say, you know, you may have been told one thing, but stay open-minded because you may, be, you may experience a surprise uh, when you begin to do that research. Well, uh, Grant, let's just go back for a while. Now, you knew you had slave-owning ancestors in the Deep South. Yeah. How did you discover that your ancestors were enslavers in New England? Well, <clears throat> I had uh, my probably my most interesting southern ancestor, my uh, second great-grandfather, um, Samuel Mason, and this is on my mother's side. My father's is all all European. Um, Samuel crossed enemy lines in 1862 and uh, joined the Union Army. And uh, he fought for the Union and um, unfortunately uh, shortened his life um, as a result of his the choice he had made. But he made it because he believed slavery was wrong. And he saw it being practiced by everyone around him, and it took great courage to leave his wife and my great-great-grandmother, who was um, at that point a baby, uh, to go and do this. Now, through his wife, um, I found a line back to the Bushnell family, um, which um, had, uh, in the in the person of one uh, Eusebius Bushnell, who was a, a speculator, um, and um, uh, at some point traded, I think, in slaves as well as, as land. He moved from Connecticut after the Revolutionary War to what is now Tennessee, to the Nashville area, and had thousands of acres of land that he was selling off to different people. Um, his wife was a member of the Latimer family of, of uh, New London, Connecticut, and uh, she went back to all kinds of Connecticut gentry and Massachusetts and so forth. And um, Eusebius had a daughter, Clarissa, who married into the Baird family. And their daughter um, married in the Nashville area and with her husband came out to Arkansas uh, in the early, what well, was when, when land was being opened up in Arkansas. So... Um, it was very interesting to make this connection to what through what I thought was a purely southern background. Um, all of my grandmothers, my maternal grandmothers' people are, are were from the South, uh, deep South up into Virginia and Maryland. But to find a line that went back to the middle of New England um, was quite fascinating for me, and it was heartening because I thought, oh, well, these won't be these won't be people who dealt with slaves at all. 
mm-hmm. these are probably my my other than my my great 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 grandfather who joined the Union Army. These are probably the few people who um, who disapproved of slavery. Well, <laughs> then I found um, Daryl's and Don's uh, research paper uh, on the internet um, describing the fact that Benaja Bushnell, Eusebius Bushnell's father. <laughs> A grandfather, rather, that he actually um, had uh, had owned at least two slaves, um, one named Robin and another named uh, uh, Guy Drock. And um, it all kind of proceeded from there. But yes, the shock was quite... I guess it was similar to the shock I, I encountered when I first tested my grandmother's family stories that she remembered of, of slaves in the family. Mm-hmm. And... Um, thought, hmm, is any of this true? And then I found, unfortunately, lists and lists and lists of people with prices next to their names um, who belong to my ancestors in the Deep South. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was quite a quite a surprise, and a, um, I wanted to find out everything I could about it. Okay, so it wasn't until you found the the uh, Bushnell papers in in New England, right? And Guy's name was on those papers. Well, his his um, his name was is connected to Benadja Bushnell's on several occasions in documentary okay. form, but okay. um, that he he Bushnell took Guy to be baptized when he was probably a young boy um and uh in the the uh, early 1740s and then later on he shows up in 1759 being sold by Benaja Bushnell to um Sarah Powers um who was uh Guy Drock's wife and um yeah so but then I of course Don and Daryl um have done amazing research all of this was done basically for me. I didn't have to really. I, I, it was all there in front of me, and I. The more I looked into it, the more I discovered. And um, and I through this research, I began looking for slaves among my other New England ancestors and found them um, as mm-hmm. far back as sixteen the sixteen seventies in Boston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, Daryl, um, why don't you tell, give us an overview of your research? Um, because apparently, your research provided information that uh, Grant was unaware of. So, uh, tell us about your research and your discovery of your family roots. Um, I didn't start off looking, thinking I would find find anybody. I didn't think we would go back very far because my family story, the the story in my family was that we were Native American and um they were from they were they were either Seneca or Delaware depending on who you were talking to. And there was some story about a scout and so nobody had records, nobody expected to find records. I moved to upstate New York in 2000, no, in I guess 98, I guess it was 1998, 
and I'd been working other family lines, and I'd left this one to last because I didn't think I'd find anything. Mm-hmm. And I went into the state library. No, I guess I was in Syracuse, far away from where the family was, but it was the nearest library. And I found a reference to uh, the Drock family, and I had recently found reference to that spelling. It was supposed to, for us, we were told the name was D-Rock. That was my grandmother's maiden name. Um, my uncle told me he had once seen it misprinted as Drock. So I started assuming that that could happen again and looked for Drock. Mm-hmm. And found a reference to the Drock family, a black family who had settled along the Genesee River in Allegheny County in the 1830s. And that's where the first of all of my assumptions started. And, you know, i got to tell you something, Bernice, I'm embarrassed by some of what I thought I knew because I knew nothing. So I thought that if it was a – there was so little knowledge in me about any kind of slavery institution in the North, Mm -hmm. I thought that if there was a family in the North, They had come up from the south on the railroad. Everybody said, oh, you know, the railroad came through this town, and our family helped. So I started thinking maybe they were just neighbors or some remote connection. And then I started running the lines forward and found my great-grandfather was born there. There he was, part of the family. Mm -hmm. So then... um, I had lots and lots of discombobulated people in my family because I was everybody was challenging my findings and saying, yes. well, that can't be our family because we're Indians. And I couldn't find any Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, and the census is vague in that period, uh, very, very vague. So I had to keep on challenging my own findings. Um, was mulatto being used for Native Americans off the reservation? Was mulatto Mm -hmm. being used because that was the euphemism in this particular census because they gave different instructions all the time? Um, We ran it. Ultimately, I found, I dug very, very deep, and I found research and literature published by former uh, neighbors in New Hampshire uh, where Simon Drock was uh, probably, that would be the son of Guy, was probably the model for a protagonist in a um, in a novel. And he was described as a very black man. And ultimately we ran him down, we ran the family back down into Connecticut with Don Roddy on the ground running his footwork. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Found, found everything there waiting for us to find them in Norwich. All the way through, none of it was what we thought it was going to be. Um, they weren't successful. They weren't Indian. They weren't um, Duroc. <laughs> they weren't mm-hmm. Duroche. They weren't Duroque. They weren't uh, didn't have Spanish parents. They didn't have French parents. Although all of those things showed up in mm-hmm. doing the research, every last one of those things showed up. 
So uh, I think my journey was really an awakening more than anything else. It was a challenging, everything I thought I was told. And then being challenged and having to go back and look, I really, really enjoyed the research. It consumed me for a yes, decade. Yes, I can imagine. Yes, yes. You know, I, I know that you you have um, a story on, on Ruth's Web, The Lost Family. Yeah. And, and go ahead. No, you're good. I was just going to say, in, in your story, uh, I mean, I read that the family was ostracized and there was social stagnation. You said drove the drocks to turn their backs on their relations, their homes, and their history. Um, obviously, I have to make some suppositions on that. There, It's 130 years ago, but mm-hmm. around 1880... After they had moved across the country, between 1880 and 1900, they moved only a couple of counties. They kept losing everything. Um, they had a sawmill for a little while. They got sued. They lost everything. They went down to Allegheny County. They, huh, believe it or not, got sued again, lost everything. Um, between 1880 and 1900, all the names changed. They all left. They all invented new histories, and nobody in the ensuing generations, knew who they were. And I find that to be unutterably sad. Mm -hmm. There's no way to reach back and touch who they were now because Mm -hmm. we don't have a connection to to them. It's all been severed with a knife, with scissors, deliberately Mm so. Yes. Oh, goodness. Um, You know, this whole thought process of, well, we're not not black, we're Indians, it it was some kind of way of of just kind of, what would you call it? I mean, just saying that they're Indians. I, you know, I really can't put my handle on this because there was, in 1900 or so, when they started to make this move, my understanding of society at that time was there was no person of color who was going to have a status equal to what white society was demanding. Mm -hmm. And so if you were black or you were Indian, you still weren't white. And so I'm Mm -hmm. not sure where the gain was socially. So Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to understand they were mixed. I've got lots and lots of pictures. They were uh, very good-looking people, but they mm-hmm. were uh, very, very light. Um, but they weren't. They, they they could have been Native American. They could have been Spanish. They could have been, you know, any of those things could work. I don't yeah. know why they chose to go the way they did. There's lots have been written about them. They were very colorful people. They, I mean. Their lives were very colorful. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been articles written about them and books written about them. Um, but they all talk about their other heritage. Never is it mentioned of right. the African. Never, never, never. Never. And there's, there are two comments coming out of the uh, chat room. One said, and society said, that black was the worst status of all. So that explained the color way, and many communities had this sentiment 
Another comment is that Native American ancestry was a cultural uh, camouflage. Um, oh, so, I believe that. Yes, yes. Well, let's hear from Don because there's a, there's also a question coming out, and it's it's really to you, uh, Don, and to Daryl. Uh, but I'm going to ask that question after Don. You tell us about your family. Okay. Well, my. Uh my uh, adventures into genealogy started about 2001, I think. My wife and I, I had retired as an airline uh, captain, and my wife and I were living on a sailboat in Florida. And we took a trip back to the West Coast where I was born, she was born. And uh, in that trip, we stopped uh, by one of my aunt's uh, houses, uh, her house, and she uh, wanted to show us some family pictures. She had several big uh, plastic uh, bins full of pictures, and so she got a couple of them out and was digging through them, and my wife uh, happened to see a pile of uh, legal-sized documents there, and she took it out and started uh, flipping through it and uh, said, whoa, this is really interesting. So we Xeroxed that 74 pages of legal-sized documents, and I took them back to the boat with us, and when I got around to reading them, I, I found that they were depositions from my great-grandmother's um, uh, application for a widow's pension after my great-grandfather died. He'd been getting a Civil War pension. Mm-hmm. So in this uh, 74 pages of depositions were all kinds of references to uh, mostly uh, my great grandfather's uh, parents and and sisters and and uh, other close relatives, with names and, and places and dates and and uh, and it, they were all from New York. So that's what got me interested in genealogy. And my son happened to be uh, based. He was in the Navy. He happened to be based in Rhode Island. Uh, during that period of time, and we drove up to visit him and decided, well, let's swing by Albany, New York, and go to the uh, state library there and see what we can find about these ancestors of mine. Of course, I'm Irish, and I assumed all my ancestors must have been Irish or something something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was sort of a babe in the woods with this genealogy research. I didn't really know how to go about it. I just had heard People say, well, they usually have genealogy sections in libraries, and you can find all kinds of stuff there. So we spent two days going to the library and pouring through books and trying to find any ma- about Allegheny County, because I knew that's where they, they were from, uh, trying to find any mention of the uh, Franklin family in Allegheny County. Well, I did find some Franklins, but they, they there was no way to tie them to my Franklins, and they didn't seem to fit the the image of my family, so uh, the third day, which was going to be my our last day there, uh, my wife wasn't feeling well, so she stayed at the motel while I went to the library by myself, and there just happened to be somebody sitting at the genealogy desk that was a library employee, and so I asked her uh, about uh, what any suggestions she might have of how I should proceed. So she said, well, have you looked at the censuses? And I said, oh, censuses, how do you do that? So that was my introduction to microfilm. And uh, 
So I, I was plowing through the censuses, and uh, I finally came across uh, the name that should have been my great-grandfather, and uh, uh, his name was uh, Reuben Franklin, Reuben Benjamin Franklin, and uh, he was living with the person that I knew to be his half-sister from the from the depositions my great-grandmother had made, and so that fit. So I said, okay, I found somebody. So then I, I continued looking and uh, to see if I could find some more information, and I started running across uh, some Drock families in the in the area, and I remembered that Drock was my grandmother's maiden name. Uh, this also from the depositions. So I started looking at them. And then I noticed, oh, in this uh, census form, there's a column, and all of these Drock people have a B or an M in that column. And most other columns are blank. So I thought, now I wonder what that is. So I, of course, when you look at the microfilm, all you see is this little area you're looking at. So I scrolled up to the top of the page, and uh, lo and behold, that was for uh, race. Oh, well, if these people are blacks and mulattoes, they must not be my relatives. So I've somehow got on their own family. Uh-huh. And so I, I, but I kept looking, and all the drops were either mulatto or, or black. So I finally said, well, let me go back to my great-grandfather. I found him. I know that's him because he's with his half-sister. And uh, and see if I can start back again. Well, I went back there. I checked the top of the column, and lo and behold, he was mulatto, and so was his uh, half sister. So that's when, that's when the the window opened, and I realized that was the right family. And from there, I was able to trace it back to uh, Simon Drock, and I wasn't able to get any further than that. We actually uh, drove over to. Western, uh, southwestern New York to Allegheny County and did research there and found some more information. And while I was doing some research, uh, my wife uh, started talking to a, a professional genealogist in one of the places and mentioned that what we had discovered that, that I had black uh, ancestors who were uh, named Drock and were from Allegheny County. So the genealogist took down our name and a contact number for us, and apparently she had done some work for Daryl at some point, okay. and then she rang a bell. Uh-huh. And so when we got to uh, Rhode Island in my son's house, uh, I think the same day or the next day, we got a message uh, from Daryl, and uh, so uh, an email, and uh so I corresponded back and forth with her a few times, never uh, mentioning uh, the fact that I discovered the, the ethnic background of our ancestry and wondering if she knew anything about it, wondering how to broach the subject. And uh, so she finally asked me if, uh, in one of her messages what I'd been told about uh, my ethnic background. So I realized then that she she knew that, and so I called her on the telephone, and we had a nice chat. And and then later that same trip, uh, Daryl uh, came across an article by uh, by Dale Palmer, the uh, Norwich uh, town historian, about Guy Drop. And she said, how about running down to Norwich, since you're right there, uh, and see what you can find out. So I did that, and uh, Daryl set up an appointment with, with Dale Palmer for me, and another lady whose name I can't remember right now, who worked in the city government down there. 
And uh, Dale Plummer spent uh, the whole day uh, helping us uh, do some research in the in the uh, archives there at Norwich and uh, and the library. And it was then that I found uh, Guide Rock uh, information about him that that positively connected him to Simon Drop. So wow, that's where it is. That's where it is. So Daryl and Donald. Okay, this is a question coming out of the chat. What were the reactions to your persistent research by your family members? Who wants to go first? Family? Yes. Immediate, my immediate family loved it. Okay. They thought that it just made us more interesting. It made a bigger tapestry. It made us more tightly connected to... Um, history. My uncle was a he taught history in high school mm-hmm. for years and years and years. And every time I he was one of the big challengers. He challenged everything I found. But it didn't mm-hmm. matter what I found. He he thought it was wonderful. Um my my mom, who's Swedish and German and Scotch Irish, had some trouble with it. Because mm-hmm. um, I guess she suddenly saw my father differently and made some odd, disturbing comments that really made me unhappy. Um, my husband and his family don't like to talk. They didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were old New England families, those yes. ones, my husband's family. Um, my daughter, so I guess I should share this because it matters right here. My daughter was tiny. She was three and four when I was doing this, and I was taking her around with me everywhere. And one day, we we were living in upstate New York. She wanted to know, um, she said, Mommy, are we, are we black? And I said, Gus? Mm-hmm. And I looked around the house, and I found, I think, I don't remember what I used. It was probably a skillet. I said, this is black. This skillet is black. Put your hand on this skillet. I, is that your color? Is that the color of your hand? She said, no. And I said, let's go outside. And it snowed because we were in upstate New York. And I said, this is this is white. This is snow. Put your hand in here. Is that the color of your hand? And she said, no. And I said, honey, there is no black or white. There's varying shades of beige. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, she has been um, the most interesting perspective. And I've always been happy that I shared all of that with her. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the older people in the family had a lot of trouble. There was one cousin branch. Evidently, a cousin actually went to college on a partial Native American scholarship based on the strength of his mother's word. And they've had a lot of trouble with this, a lot of trouble. Yes, I can imagine, yes. So there were mixed, a lot of different reactions. Yeah, yeah. Well, Don, what about you? Well, basically, most of my family was very uh, acceptive of what I'd found and... Uh, even uh, many of them enthusiastic about it, as I was. Uh, One or two members of the family uh, 
an aunt, an older aunt, was a little reluctant to accept it, but she eventually came around. And I have a cousin who I'm told, I haven't talked to her directly, but I'm told by another cousin that she absolutely rejects it. She insists that, that I'm totally wrong on these findings. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, the most of the family uh, has been very uh, receptive to the information. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, I wrote okay. a, uh, I wrote actually a whole book uh, about what I found on the, the Franklins and the Drops, and uh, sent and printed it up on my home the home printer, and uh, sent copies to all my relatives about it. So I, ha- I haven't got a lot of feedback from that. So, ev- so every right. So everyone is aware of it, and there's a comment coming out. Um, uh, thanking you, Daryl, uh, for your answer. And we're going to take a break and come right back. So just hold on and we'll continue this discussion. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. Also, all of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from iTunes. Now, you have been listening to Grant Hater Menzies, Daryl D'Angelo, and Donald Roddy. And they each have given us just an overview of, of their story. Grant discovered that his uh, slave-owning family also owned slaves not only in the Deep South, but also in New England. Darrell and Don discovered that they are descendants of a slave by the name of Guy Drock. So back to you, Grant. What were you expecting, hoping for, or fearing when you met the descendants of Guy Drock? Well, I was in Connecticut on a bit of a mission um, into my family's um, enslaving um, history. Um, Part of my plan was, while there, to take part um, in uh, the Slave Dwelling Project um, 
which is a um, a project that was founded by Joseph McGill yes. um, to um, to spend a night in a in an extant um, slave dwelling um, anywhere that he could was allowed to or um, anywhere where the building was was you know in good enough condition to to spend the night there and um, to draw attention by doing this to the the fact that these buildings are often the ones that are ignored. Um, the big plantation house is the one everyone wants to go to. That's the one that everyone associates with fictional um, accounts of the South, like Gone with the Wind, the movie Gone with the Wind. And um, I knew of a of a some slave quarters in a house in Greenwich, Connecticut. I'd found this as a a byproduct of my re- my research into um, the Guy Drock history, and um, so I um, helped Joe set up um, a session of the slave dwelling project um, at this house. So I knew I was going to be spending the night with Joe in the attic over the kitchen of the Bush Holly House in Greenwich, and that I was the first descendant of slave um owners that he had ever spent that he had ever shared this experience with mm-hmm. and i was carrying a lot of a lot of thought of, and of, uh, sort of my my family's past was kind of weighing me down already and i felt like if if this if if anything could come out of this it would be um it would be that meeting the descendants of Guy Drock um would would bring a sense of um awareness to me and um that I would that it would maybe be a um a happier experience, kind of a reunion of sorts, and I, I realized I was being very naive and um, um, uh, kind of projecting um, an ideal image of what I wanted. But I can say that um, when I met Daryl and Don, uh, which I did outside um, a house in Norwich, um, where my uh, Leffingwell ancestors had lived, and where they had at some point in history actually held slave auctions. Um, I felt such a a, a sense of um, of oneness with them. Um, I already knew them through the work they had done, and respected them because of that. But um, I felt like they were also seeking something, and that. Mm-hmm. They wanted to join me in in the search um, willingly, and I guess this may sound silly, but you you fear that people are going to hold against you the sins of your of your fathers. Mm-hmm. And I know this is something that that I deal with quite a bit um, as a, I'm a member of a group called Coming to the Table, which. Yes. Um, which aims to bring together the descendants of of um of slaves and of of enslavers um and I had always been a little bit afraid that 
I wouldn't be able to handle the the weight that would be put on me um, by such a a meeting. But uh-huh. they were gracious and they were friendly, and um, I I care about them both very much. And um, as we went. Took, took a tour through the town and we talked to a group of school kids and um, it was amazing um, at one point <laughs> the kids in this in at, Nor- at Norwich um, Free Academy were asked which of us they thought was the um, descendant of the slave owner and who were the descendants of the slave and nobody picked me as Benadja Bushnell's um, Descendant, they they thought uh, Don, who has a very handsome white beard, um, was the uh, descendant of Benaja Bushnell. I guess they were imagining a sort of patriarchal um, slaveholder from the South or something. Um, Interesting. Benaja Bushnell was, um, I think, rather clean-shaven, and um, um, he wore spectacles and had silver buttons on his jacket, mm-hmm. and I think was probably not at all the uh, the um, archetypal um, slave owner from uh, reading, you know, um, Southern fiction novels. But huh. anyway, um, I, 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 I feel like I've started a journey with with Daryl and Dawn, and um, I, I can't wait to see where it where it goes next. Yes. Well, let's get uh, Dawn and Daryl's perspective. I mean, what what was your reaction when you were contacted by Grant Daryl? I um, well, I actually came into the picture late. I had dropped off the planet and moved cross country and moved up to New England, and had just out of left field contacted Don um, for some other reason, I think. And he said, "Oh, by the way, there's this guy." And he's a descendant of Benaja Bushnell, and he wants to um, con- he wants to meet us. And I didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. I sometimes I feel I have not grown up with a burden of an African ancestor, slaved. Um, social problems with race or ethnicity in the South where I lived for a long time. I didn't grow up with any of that. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a family that was white identified. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I feel like this is, I'm an imposter. I'm the descendant of Gaidrock. But I don't feel as if my experience meeting Grant is the same, except for that I spent an awful lot of time not understanding why I would want to talk to somebody whose ancestor enslaved my ancestor. Mm-hmm. So I've I've had a lot of weird stuff come up around this actual experience with Grant because it's still more uncovering all of my preconceptions and what I think it should look like versus what it really does look like, which is... um. It was initially kind of awkward, and mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what 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 did he want from us? Did he want forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Did he want 
I have, I, and I told him that in the first email. I don't know what really to say. Um, it turns out that he's a super, super, super nice guy who really, really wants the world to be a better place and all of these things to help move us forward in society. And I think if I had known we were going there, I might have been more welcoming. But I was mm-hmm. kind of standoffish because I didn't know what to do with it. And I've, I've got my own questions about my own role here. Yes, yes. And, I mean, it, it just seems like it is it is something to ask, you know, the question, uh, you know, why? Why do you want to connect? And uh, to to kind of step back for a minute and think about it. What's going to happen here? And as as you said, you you had to reflect on that uh, request to get together. Well, Don, what about you? What was your reaction? Well, uh, my reaction wasn't quite the same as uh, Daryl's. I uh, I have to admit that when I got the first message from Grant, I was a little suspicious, uh, as I am of most messages that appear out of thin air. <laughs> you know. Uh, that he was trying to sell me something or, or you know, uh, something of that nature. But uh, once I'd exchanged a, a couple of emails with him, uh, I was uh, very excited about, uh, about really the only misgiving I had being, uh, in addition to Irish background and, and uh, African, I'm also Scotch. And uh, since I live in Washington, and that's not Washington, D.C., but Washington State, uh, I was uh, a little bit uh, reluctant to spend the money it was going to take me to go over to Norwich and back, but I did, and uh, we had a it was a nice meeting. We got to see some things that I hadn't seen the first time I was in Norwich, uh, uh, in particular Leffingwell House and uh, some other places we went, and and I went up to the uh, uh, up to Greenwich uh, with Grant or followed him up there, and uh, I had. I anticipated that I would have the chance to uh, spend the night in the slave quarters also, but it turned out there were already four people uh, definitely going to be spending the night there, and that was the absolute maximum that they were going to be allowed to be there. So uh, I did attend the meeting, however, before the night. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Daryl mentioned uh, that this feeling, this sense of, of being an imposter, because she did not culturally grow up as a black person, uh, did not have the same experiences that a person who is black would have. And so perhaps the meeting didn't bring forth, I guess, the the feelings that, uh, although you mentioned some suspicion, uh, that maybe a person who grew up culturally a black person would have. But um, right now, Daryl and Don, how do you look at yourself from an ethnic perspective? How, what do you call yourself? Well, uh, okay, I'll go ahead. Uh, actually, uh Aside from the fact that I now know that one of my admixtures is is African, uh, I have always uh, thought of myself as uh, as an ethnic mongrel. So it's <laughs> not much different than it ever was. I, I my 
other ancestry is uh, Scotch, Irish, English, German, and uh, I don't know what else, Heinz 57, I think. So it hasn't changed my self-perception, though I am aware, uh, of course, uh, now that I've discovered the African uh, connection, I am aware of it. And sometimes I feel like I'd like to uh, discuss this with another, with a black person and mm-hmm. uh, and share this with them, but I never feel... Uh, that's where I feel the the cultural uh, the absence of any cultural connection to to the you know to the black uh, American black society. Uh, I've never experienced that. So, uh, and I, I I would feel self-conscious about starting such a conversation uh, because. Mm-hmm. Of that. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a comment coming out of the chat. You cannot help the way you are born, nor can you change the actions of previous generations to distance themselves from enslaved ancestors. Another comment is, is from a person who said, ethnic mongrel. Oh, good, I might be related to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, let's talk about that, that visit, that tour that you Daryl, Don, and Grant took of the uh, Leffingwell House in Norwich. Um, do you want me to? Go well, ahead, Grant. It's it's I, the it's a lovely old house, um, and we were given a very gracious tour. Um, the house isn't where it originally stood when my people lived there. Um, I guess when a highway went in, they decided um, uh, to move it to where it is now in the middle of Norwich. Um, but it has a, it still has a kind of a daylight basement under it, and there's a door leading out of it. And allegedly, um, according to Norwich tradition, that at that door, slaves were auctioned, and Apparently, um, at the house's former location in the basement area, there were iron rings and, and things sort of set into the stone walls. And as uh, Daryl, Don, and uh, Dale and I stood there, um, I, I got this weird feeling that it was almost a kind of door of no return. Mm-hmm. Because people mm-hmm. that were kept in there would have been sent out the door and on their way into um, slavery somewhere um, in the area, and uh, it felt strange thinking about where all of our various strands had come from and that had uh, woven together into that moment where we were standing there, um, thinking about Guy, thinking about. Um, um some of the stories of of slaves in Connecticut that I'd read um that I'd read about mm-hmm. um, some of the Leffingwell slaves who were like guy um conditionally um quote unquote freed um, um and thinking it it really it wasn't the south but it it certain ha- certainly had certain um salient characteristics of southern slavery. Yes. Um and how, how few people passing in the street knew this. I guess maybe not in Norwich, but certainly your average t- 
tourist from wherever mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. wouldn't exactly know that. The other thing that struck me during the tour, and I hope I'm not telling uh, this the story that one that that uh, Daryl or, or Don want to tell, but it was seeing that of all of the properties and 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 whatnot that the Bushnells had in Norwich, um, this well-to-do family. The only and, and of, of and concerned with this particular um, history, the the only building still standing is the house that Guy Drock built, and what? it's it's a beautiful house with a a Victorian exterior that has probably kept it standing for the past hundred or more years. But underneath that exterior is um, is a colonial house, and it was built by Guy, um, mm. and I I just could have stood there looking at it forever. It was um it was wonderful. And there's and also a plaque standing. in front of it. Yeah, and there and there's a plaque in front of it. Um It's a beautiful house. Memorial yes. Memorializing guy. And um I that is that is the most fitting thing I can imagine. Um because he's the one that deserves to be memorialized in Norwich. Mhm. And was that put out by the community or the family? Uh by the community. Mhm. It was actually Dale Plummer. Yeah. Um, Dale it's, Plummer. It's, we really need to. We really need to hit this. Dale Plummer is the city historian there, and he has dedicated himself to not just uncovering the history of Norwich, but uh, describing, bringing into the light of day, uh, telling the stories of slavery and the history that a lot of people in Norwich don't know. He's organized uh, walking tours of the black history in Norwich. Um, he is who got that plaque put out. Yes. Um, his brother, I think it was, did a an architectural survey of the buildings in town, and mm-hmm. that's how they found this. They researched the history of many of the very old buildings and when they uncovered that, that really excited Dale. And he has, um, he's had a bell cast, I think, a freedom bell. Yes. He's he's really really powerful now, um, in his research into this area. So well, wonderful. I am We're really very glad to, to hear that. Yep. Yes, I am really glad to hear that. Uh, there, there is a question coming out of the chat, and I just want the chatters and others who are on the line, if you would like to ask a question, you'd like to call in or make a comment, you can call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Now, this is a question to uh, Don and Daryl. Um, how do you reconcile your skin color privilege um, that you have experienced in life in comparison or contrast to the lack of that privilege that the darker drocks would have had or have when they are profiled and followed in the stores. And I don't know if you could even wrap around that question to, to understand what's being asked. I can, and Bernice, I'd like to answer it. Don, you may have something, too, but this came up. So many things come up in context with my daughter in conversations. She asked me some years later, um, 
would our lives be different, Mommy, if we were black? Which I think is almost exactly what this question is asking. Mm-hmm. And I had to say, yes, but I can't tell you how exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I was a single parent and struggling. Was I struggling harder? Was it easier for me to get jobs because I had had an education? Absolutely, probably true. And I told her so. Uh, sometimes I, I I can't reconcile it because I can't, I can't, as another commenter said, I can't control my the, the circumstance of my birth. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't roll back time. I do know that my ancestors tried very, very hard to make a different future um, for us. Mm-hmm. Whether they, I don't agree with their decision for what it's worth, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't mine to make, so I can't reconcile that. I do think that it's a fair question to look at that. It's part of the reflection that I have to do often. Am I who I am? in spite of or because of the mm-hmm. decisions that were made 200 years ago. I don't know. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. Don, do you have any thoughts well, on that I, question? Well, all I can say is that I can't reconcile it. Uh, it it's not fair that uh, somebody, it's not reasonable that somebody is, is treated differently just because they have a different skin color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that I happen to, to be born with white skin uh, shouldn't make any difference, but and blue eyes, my wife says, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but at the same time, my great grandfather, I have a, his physical description from his uh, Civil War military papers, and he also had fair skin and blue eyes, but in the 1850, 18. And 1860 and 1855 New York censuses, he is uh, classified as mulatto. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he didn't look any different than me to speak of. In fact, he even had a white beard when I had the only picture I have of him, uh, mm-hmm. like me. But uh, but what the difference was was that somewhere along the line, and it was shortly after the Civil War, uh, all of the paler members of the Drock and Franklin families uh, apparently made a conscious decision uh, that they weren't going to be stuck with the uh, the you know the laws that were coming out of the South and actually were also promulgated up north, but not as 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 in such a vicious uh, form. The Jim Crow laws. Uh, I think that's what motivated them because that's when, at that time, it was exactly when the Jim Crow laws came into effect, the uh, 1870s, and that's when they apparently decided the uh, the drops would change their name, so they they moved away from uh, Allegheny County and out into the larger world, and always were white uh, of either Indian or Italian. And one of I, I've come across one drop that was Italian in the census. And uh, uh, Indian or Italian or French, of all things, I don't know why they thought the French would be darker, uh, or Spanish. So uh, by doing that, they made us white, and we are therefore now treated differently than we would have been if that hadn't have happened. But that's, there's no 
justification in that, really. Right, right. And and perhaps whole generations made very conscious decisions uh, yeah. to change their names to to pass, and, and this was a way of... Uh, uh, moving forward and not uh, not experiencing the the Jim Crow as many uh, many blacks experienced. Well, there's a, a question that I I didn't ask earlier, but I'll ask it now, and it's DNA. There's a question that uh, asked: Did any of you take a DNA test? We have had yes, DNA. Yes, and yes. Yes, we've had the DNA run on a direct descendant who um, is a male line descendant, and it came back, I don't know if anybody's looking at it right now, I'm not looking at it, but it was E1B1, is that right? And it was... Uh, I forget what what it was called, but it, it, it the, eth- the ethnic uh, classification of, of that DNA, Y-DNA, was, was uh, Bantu. Uh, yeah, they went to Chad. It came a back major to Chad. tribe in, in West Africa, in West and Central Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, so the, it, it confirmed what your research journey uh, already confirmed that you had African ancestry. Yep. And exactly, the test. Yes. Y- yes. Well, let's just talk. We're going. We're going. I, I opened the 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 line for questions, and I have no questions. And so let's talk about for a second. If you had to. Speak to someone today who all of a sudden discovered that they had African ancestry or that, um, yes, African ancestry, but they identified as white. What would you say to them? Well, I would say nothing has changed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, they're still the same person they were yesterday, uh, just as I am, uh, but they may want to take an interest, more of an interest than they had previously in perhaps uh, the history of uh, of African Americans particularly, and maybe even in African cultures in Africa itself. Mm-hmm. And I think I agree with that. Nothing nothing has changed. That's, that's really the bottom line. You are who you were. Yes. Nothing changes no matter what you find back there. And it doesn't matter what it is. But I would also tell somebody you're about to go on a journey. You're about mm-hmm. to learn history that you didn't know. You just didn't know it because you didn't know it was there. And when you start looking at that, um, everything becomes more interesting. The tapestry is more interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'd say you're gonna, it's fun. It's a great journey. Yes, it, it it sounds like it's a journey to embrace rather than to fear and run away from. Oh yeah. Well, uh, another Bernice, question uh, coming out. Uh, yes, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to put in a little plug for a for a website that I have. It's got uh, all my uh, genealogy information on it that some people might find interesting. Uh, it's www.rody. That's r o d d y. dot net. Okay, great. So those of you who want to check out Don's. Uh, uh, website www.rody.net. Uh, one more question coming out of the chat: Are there any drocks who are African American in color and culture? Do either of you know? It, with the using the name with the name Drock, yes. or just descendant? No drocks. 
no D-Rocks, no D-Roches, no D-Rokes. They are all today um, white-identified and, for the most part, ignorant of where their family came from. There are uh, daughter lines, though, you know, that many different families that are absolutely today are black, and they're still living in New York. They're mostly over in Delaware County. Mm -hmm. And those are your cousins? Yep. Closer cousins. I have, they may not be cousins as closely to Dawn. Um, I have um, multiple lines. I have not just Guy Drock, but I also have Lot Little, who was a slave in New Hampshire, and he's also my ancestor. And they, the the Littles and the Drocks, intermarried several times over. And um, so I have some, they're probably only second cousins, some of them, folks over there in Delaware County. I've got some pretty close cousins. Second, I think second cousins. In this kind of research, that's pretty close. Dawn, I think, is a fifth cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, think that's about right. Yeah. Okay. Well, any parting words, Don, Daryl, or Grant? Well, uh, I, I would like to issue a, uh, a caution that genealogy is very addictive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Very addicting. Daryl, any parting words? Uh, I think the only parting words I would have is, uh, don't believe what everything you've been told. <laughs> go, <laughs> go find out. Go look. And and don't, don't be don't be afraid to 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 ask. And don't be afraid to look inside yourself and challenge yourself. Mhm. Wherever. Great. 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 Okay. Well, everyone, I just want to to let you all know what's happening next week. Uh, Next Thursday, I have a very interesting, another very interesting show, and this show is called The The Black Russian with uh, Dr. Vladimir Alexandrov. And let me tell you, I have enjoyed reading this book. It's the story about Frederick Bruce Thomas. He was born in 1872 to former slaves and spent his youth on his family's farm in Mississippi. Well, folks, you're going to hear about an amazing, amazing journey and an amazing man. And so please tune in next week to hear about the Black Russian. So good night. Thank you so much, Daryl D'Angelo, Grant Hater Menzies, and Donald Roddy. And remember, yes, your ancestors left footprints as Don, Grant, and Daryl discovered. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Now, you can continue this discussion on the Genealogy and History Forum of AfroGenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. 
Also, remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Bennett, BB's Genealogy and Educational Services, LLC. Good night, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night. Good night, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.